So good evening, everyone. We are still waiting for quite a few people. I think they got stuck in the traffic. So that's the reason we have the topic of this evening, the traffic congestion, mobility in the city. So we might learn how to be, have the better probability to be to be on time. Uh, so good evening once again. My name is Przemysl Pala. I'm from the Czech, Czech Center. Uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you at the second run of the AI Science Cafe series. Uh, we kicked it off uh, exactly one month ago at the Royal Institutions uh, on a topic of privacy and personal security. Uh, you might be asking why Czech Center is doing such a series, it's going to be five or six months almost, uh, on the AI. <coughs> the, the topic which has not been really well known a couple of years ago in the, the the companies or institutions or individuals. But I think the situation is changing dramatically. I think the AI, uh, it's impacting even today uh, a lot of industries is starting to impact in the area of communications, our personal lives. And of course, uh, I believe it's just the, the beginning. I think what we're going to see in the next 10, 15 years, what the, would be the role of, of, of AI. So as you probably know from, from the media, the, the AI is playing chess and beating the best chess players in the world or composing the classical music, I think the potential of the AR is clearly much, uh, much larger. And we dedicated uh, each of the AI Science Cafe to one topic. As I mentioned, the first one was on privacy security. We're going to have communications. Uh, we will have preservation, the wildlife, robotizations. And today we're going to have a mobility. I think it's a very important uh, topic close to our heart, especially for someone who is living in the large cities like London, uh, New York, LA, or even, even Prague. I believe in the mobility. There are going to be uh, four prevailing trends that's going to impact mobility in the future. And one is the autonomous driving. Uh, Today we have more you know, semi-autonomous, some of you might have the cars, you know, which are going to park it by itself, but it's clearly on the way to autonomous driving, uh, and there are a number of companies testing the cars already today. Uh, I think the second driving force is going to be connectivity. The cars in the future are going to look much more like your iPhones or computers than the cars. Uh, they're going to be mutually connected with each other. Uh, they are connected with the infrastructure. They're going to be tremendous amounts of data coming from these vehicles and from the cars that the industry is going to use uh, going, going future. Uh, the third one is electricity, the electric cars. I think there's a strong push by the government, by the, the green energy. You can see it clearly in, in London. There's a steeply increasing number of the electric cars. I've been a couple of weeks ago in Paris. It seems the trend has not gone there that much. And you can see it also on the uh, charger infrastructure, which is not that developed in some of the countries. On the contrary, it's fairly well developed in Scandinavia, but in some of the cities you might not expect it, in Shanghai or Beijing, for example, so the electric cars. And the, the fourth area, it's going to be uh, the car sharing or pooling the cars. And we blend all that together, I think that's going to be the future. And we are very fortunate we are going to have two distinguished speakers, uh, which I'd like to introduce to you, experts on the topics, which will be talking mostly about autonomous driving, but also about the, the car sharing. So let me introduce uh, Michal Chap, who is the AI researcher coming from the Czech uh, Technical University, uh, from the AI Center, but he's currently the technology uh, 
uh, lead at ICAI at the MIT Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Boston uh, spin-off. And after the, his presentation, there will be a dialogue, a debate with another uh, expert on the topic uh, based here in London, Pana Iotis Angelodis. He is uh, from the Imperial College of London, he's senior lecturer there and also a director of the transport system and logistics uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the Imperial. So without any further ado, I would like uh, Michal to turn the floor for his presentation and wish you inspiring evening. So thank you. Thank you very much for your kind introduction. So today uh, I would like to share with you the results of our research on self-driving cars and how they influence the future of urban mobility. This is a joint work that I did uh, with Emilio Frazzoli and uh, Javier Alonzo-Mora uh, from TU Delft and uh, MIT respectively uh, and some of the PhD students at uh, CTU in Prague. So let me start very broadly. We are living in the era of urbanization. More and more economic activity is happening in the cities. Cities are becoming melting pots where people come together to combine their expertise to create complex, high-value-added products. What is really important in the process is that we can move easily within the city. So cities cater this need by providing us access to multimodal infrastructure. So for example, if you want to move from one place to another in London, you can do so in a several various ways. Uh, you can take public transport, you can take uh, your own vehicle and drive it, you can walk, or you could bike. The private car, in particular, has a very uh, special place in the mix. Mostly because in certain situations it doesn't have a good alternative. Imagine, for example, if you want to move for, from a place that is not well connected to public transport. Now, we also know very well that driving comes with a number of problems. The first one is that urban roads do not have sufficient capacity which leads to congestion. Second common problem that we all know is that there's not enough parking capacity in cities, leading to problems with how do we find a parking space at the destination. And also, uh, finally, cars pollute and are noisy, which uh, decreases our quality of life in the cities. So the traditional solution to the first two problems is to build more roads and build more parking structures. Unfortunately, most large cities uh, have most of the lands developed. So if you want to build a new road, what it amounts to is to either take, out, uh, take down an existing building or to dig a tunnel, which is extremely expensive. Another traditional answer would be to heavily subsidize public transport to make it an, alternative, an attractive alternative to driving. So for example, in London, uh, only 40% of the um, uh, income to public transport comes from fares. Some cities subsidize even more. In Prague, there would be only 25%. So we cannot easily build more roads and more parking uh, space in the cities. And also, not everyone is willing to use public transport. We subsidize it, but still the, 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 the model share of cars remains on those like 35% uh, range. So is there anything else we can do to uh, to fix those problems that I, uh, that I just described. There are two new models for individual 
uh, traveling in cars uh, that could solve some of those problems. The first is car sharing, the other one is ride sharing. In car sharing, a single car is used uh, by multiple people during one day, uh, which increases the utilization of the car, so we can serve more more, uh, we can have the same amount of trips by fewer vehicles, which in turn reduces the parking capacity requirements. In this picture, uh, I'm showing a typical day of a car in a city. So what happens typically is that the car sits on the parking spot uh, in front of the owner's house for uh, several hours, 10 hours, 13 hours, then it is used to get the owner to the to his workplace, then it sits in front, uh, in front of the office for 8 or more hours, then it is used to get to um, uh, some social event, uh, grocery store, uh, and um, then it is used again to, to, to get the owner home. So in this specific example, if you count, um, if you count the numbers, you get to a utilization of 6%. So 94% of the time, the, the, the car just sits there, idle, doing nothing. So there, there are uh, companies like uh, Zipcar, Car4Way, or Car2Go that try to increase the utilization of uh, private vehicles by providing access to a fleet of shared cars that can be rented for short periods of time. As you probably uh, know, those didn't really gain much mainstream accept uh, acceptance, mostly because it's still not convenient enough to be used on a daily basis. Mm. Interestingly, Taxis can be also considered as a, as a form of car sharing because one taxi vehicle can serve multiple uh, people during one day. The second model is ride sharing. In ride sharing, we try to serve multiple people simultaneously by one vehicle. This way, we can reduce the, the vehicle traffic on the roads. A typical car in a city has only one person in it, the driver. If we somehow manage to increase the occupancy, if we manage to motivate people to ride share and to, um, and to fill the car up to its maximum capacity, we could replace those eight cars with just two cars. Now the problem is that we don't really know how to do that. So all the efforts to um, implement peer-to-peer -peer, uh, ride sharing in cities have failed. There is, there's nothing that really works. What somewhat works is uh, ride sharing with a professional driver. So that would be the services that you probably know as Uber Pool or um, Lyft Line. Uh, and those are sort of convenient enough to be actually used by sort of general public. So from those two examples, it is interesting to observe that taxis are actually, or mobility on demand systems in general, are actually pretty good for cities because they can uh, enable car sharing and ride sharing. The reason why we don't switch from our cars to uh, taxi cars for our daily um, uh, transportation uh, is that, is that uh, taxis need a professional driver. There are two problems with that. One is that we have to pay the driver to drive the car. The second one is even if we, um, even if we wanted to replace all private cars by shared uh, taxi cars, we wouldn't find enough people that would be willing to work as taxi drivers. And this is where self-driving uh, comes into picture. If we somehow remove the driver from the equation, suddenly we can scale this uh, idea up. So we could be, we, we are able to reduce the cost of using a uh, 
taxi or on-demand mobility vehicle to a level that is when it is cheaper than using your own private car. And also, we are not constrained by um, by the sort of the constant number of drivers um, that that um, we have at the market. So this idea is precisely what all the self-driving or most of the self-driving companies that you know are pursuing: Waymo, Uber, Cruise, Autonomy. All, all of them have a business model of becoming mobility-on-demand companies. They want to come to a city and deploy a large fleet of autonomous vehicles that could be hailed for point-to-point -point transportation at a price that is lower than using your own car. Now, this is an idea that is pretty old, and there has been a heated debate on what does, it mean for, what does it mean for cities. So you could find people that would be painting utopian future where we replace all the private cars and we convert the parking spaces that are not needed anymore into urban gardens and bike lanes. We also find people that would argue that um, the cities of future will look very dystopian. We will have the, the roads that are, that, are, that are clogged by aimlessly roaming large fleets of autonomous vehicles. And, um, and those two contradictory views are sort of very hard to uh, integrate. So what did we do is that we tried to build the models that will give us uh, some, some sort of principled idea on what are the trade-offs that we will have to deal with um, when we try to, or when companies like uh, Uber um, will, will try to deploy this technology to our cities. So first thing that we did is that we tried to understand what are the limits of large-scale car sharing implemented through automated mobility on demand. So here, um, here is the scenario that we were targeting. It's a sort of intentionally extreme scenario where we ask, what would happen if we replace all private cars in the city by a fleet of autonomous vehicles? That is. Every trip that we do today by driving in our own car would be served by uh, an autonomous taxi. And we are interested in knowing how many cars we need and what will be the implications for the traffic in the city. So in order to do an analysis like this, we actually need to know how people use their cars and where do they go. This is very hard. This is the kind of data that is very hard to come by. Um, we like to use two data sources. Um, one is a transportation demand model that we develop at uh, CTU in Prague. It's a model that um, fuses three main data sources. Um, it fuses uh, census data, travel, uh, travel diaries, these are questionnaires, and data from mobile operators. And it's able to synthesize a data set. It's roughly one million trips. That is representative of, of all trips by a private car uh, during a working day in Prague. So that's one source. Another source uh, that many people in academia like to use is New York Taxi Dataset. This is a dataset that, that contains every single taxi trip by license. So these are the yellow taxis in New York. Um, this is roughly 400,000 trips a day. And it's very useful for all sorts of analytical work uh, that tries to uh, understand and analyze um, mobility on demand systems. When we have the demand, we need to design the system 
so that it, has, it provides the same quality of service as we have now with our private cars. So the way we define it is that we, what we want is that if you call a self-driving taxi, it will come uh, within two minutes with, yeah, sort of guaranteed. So one way to do it is that you partition the city into, into small regions. Every region has a station. The station acts as a parking lot. And when you call a taxi, uh, a vehicle is dispatched from the station. It will arrive uh, to the pickup location, will pick you up, drive you to the destination, um, and after drop off, it, it returns to the, to the nearest station. One important thing that, that you need to ensure is that um, you need to keep all of those stations non-empty so that you have vehicles that you can dispatch. This turns out to be non-trivial. This is mostly because urban transportation patterns are imbalanced. For example, during the morning peak, most people want to go from residential areas to urban areas, to, sorry, to, to business, uh, business areas, and there is only very few people who actually want to travel in the opposite direction. Now, the problem with that is that you will start losing the vehicles uh, in the residential area, so this station will inevitably become empty, and the vehicles will start accumulating in the business area, and nobody wants them there. So the only way to counteract uh, this imbalance is to start sending empty vehicles in the opposite direction. This is a process called rebalancing, and this is something that, that appears in all uh, transport, uh, shared transportation systems. This was easy, relatively. Now if you make it more complex, now we have three stations, and we are asking what, is the, what are the flows that will stabilize the system, we can naively come up with a solution that looks like this. This is just, you just, uh, you just subtract the two numbers. But actually, you can show that you can balance the system cheaper by doing this. So what do we do is that we, we develop models that will tell us what is the cheapest way to stabilize the number of vehicles in every station so that you can provide a guaranteed um, quality of service to your customers. So this is one of the papers that um, we developed where we are also able to handle uncertainty in travel demand. Now when we have an algorithm like this, we can feed it with the demand data. So in this case, we feed it with the um, transportation demand of Prague, one million trips currently served by roughly 300,000 vehicles. This is because when you take a car, a personal car, at the beginning of the day, uh, on average it will do three trips during the day. You will go to work, uh, from work, and some other sort of errand that you might do during the day. Now, we run it through the algorithm, and it will compute what is the minimum fleet size of a shared vehicle fleet that we need to serve this demand at the same quality of service as, as uh, having your own car. So in this case, uh, this would yield 60,000 shared vehicles, um, which is a dramatic increase, uh, dramatic decrease of, of the fleet size, roughly fivefold. And moreover, those vehicles, they are utilized more, meaning that they spend less time parking, which, tra which translates to even large savings in terms of parking space requirements. So here we, um, uh, we estimate roughly 20-fold reduction in, in the parking space needed. What you pay for that is the extra traffic that the, that the vehicles have to drive um, due to rebalancing. So essentially the extra traffic when the vehicle drives empty from one passenger to another. 
There's a fundamental number that, that just stems from the fact that the balance is, uh, that, that the demand is imbalanced. And for Prague, the number is 35%. If you do the analysis for other cities, you get a very similar number. So uh, Singapore will be something like 30%. Uh, essentially, for most cities, the, the number looks like this. We also, we also simulate the system in a micro-simulation. Uh, just to give you an idea how it looks, uh, this is uh, this is all those 60,000 vehicles. The red dots are passengers that are uh, waiting to be picked up. The blue triangles are vehicles that have been dispatched to pick up some passenger, and the green triangles are the rebalancing flows. So these are the vehicles that move from areas that um, that have too many vehicles to areas that have too little vehicles. What we can do is that then we can keep track of how many uh, vehicles um, are passing through each road segment, and then we can analyze the data to see how well the, the road network utilization change uh, relative to the current system. So then you get a then you get a, a plot that looks like this. You can you can clearly see that. Uh, the, the, the road network is much more stressed in the, in the scenario where you deploy uh, an automated mobility demand system with car sharing. So you, you drastically reduce the fleet size, you drastically reduce the parking space requirements, but you pay with 30% extra traffic, which is a problem because right now the road network in most cities is already beyond its capacity, so you're only doing the traffic congestion wars. So as we already discussed, one way to reduce vehicle traffic is to put more people into one car. The general idea is that you find people that travel in the same direction, you sort of match them together, and you transport them in one vehicle. This is an interesting uh, mathematical problem. It's very non-trivial to, uh, to, to solve. Roughly, it looks like this. We have a fleet of vehicles. It could be very large. We have a transportation demand that is defined as a set of requests. Each request has some origin, some destination. And we also have um, uh, the maximum delay that we, um, uh, that, that we uh, induce due to, due to ride sharing. So we essentially promise to each customer we will not delay you more than this number. What we are asking for is a route uh, for each vehicle such that collectively all passengers are served. Well, this is a, uh, in general, this is, uh, this is known to be an intractable problem, but we figured that uh, for the instances that appear in urban ride sharing, you can actually develop an algorithm that can efficiently uh, solve most of those instances up to optimality. So for the people with uh, technical background, uh, the way we do it is that we, we generate like, all possible groups of passengers almost exhaustively, and then we are looking for an assignment. Uh, so we are looking for which group we should assign to each vehicle such that every passenger is served and some objective criterion is, is optimized. So we get, uh, in this, this example, the vehicle number one is uh, having one passenger, vehicle number two is having passenger one and four, and uh, and there is some other vehicle that is serving passenger three. We consider two optimization criteria, so we care about two quality metrics. Typically, the passengers uh, want to be in their destination as fast as possible, so they care about the quality of service. The operator of the fleet cares about the operation cost, so they want to minimize, this is roughly proportional to the total vehicle distance driven in the system. Those two objectives are in conflict, so you cannot optimize improve both of them simultaneously. So what do we do is that 
sort of conceptually, you can plot every every possible solution on a plane where on horizontal axis is the delay that the passengers have to bear, and on the vertical axis is the vehicle the number of vehicle miles traveled, so the operation cost. And uh, those solutions, the red ones, are solutions that are so-called undominated or Pareto optimal, meaning that you cannot further improve them without making, you cannot, you cannot improve one criteria uh, without making the other criteria worse. If you draw a line through those points, you get something called Pareto front or trade-off curve, which represents graphically the fundamental limits of ride sharing. What it means is that it is fundamentally impossible to achieve performance that would lie below this curve. This is very important because if you are a city or Uber or you know, an operator of such a fleet, the rational thing for you to do is to pick a point on this curve. This is the best thing you can do. And then it just becomes a question of do we want an expensive system or a very comfortable system. Right. So the, the one extreme point looks like this. We just, we just assign a dedicated vehicle to every passenger. And then as we go down the, the curve, we start matching people that, are, that have the most similar sort of trips, they go in the most similar destination, then we match more and more people together, and in, in, in this extreme case, um, there is no better solution that wouldn't uh, violate the maximum delay constraints, uh, and we see that we serve the, all the passengers with only two vehicles. This is the, here I will show you an actual output of the algorithm. These are randomly generated requests where start is picked randomly from the square, destination is picked randomly from the square. And you can see the curve for this particular uh, travel demand. Um, in one extreme, everybody gets its own vehicle. And then you can start putting people together. Uh, and in, in this extreme point, you could see that some of the cars have three people, some of the cars have two people, some people still travel together. Some people still travel alone. So there is a, one of my collaborators, um, Javier Alonso Mora, that is currently a professor at um, uh, TU Delft, has used a very similar algorithm uh, and applied it to the New York taxi data. So what he did, he took New York taxi data and he tried to analyze how much efficiency can we squeeze by ride sharing. So what would happen if, if, if taxi drivers would start accepting multiple people? on board. This is a video from his simulation. So you can see Manhattan, uh, 3,000 vehicles. Um, the color represents the number of uh, passengers in the vehicle. So the sort of the, the light blue ones are inactive. They are just waiting. They, they don't have anything to do. Uh, the red, the, the, the dark blue are rebalancing vehicles. They move from spaces where there is no demand to spaces where there is demand. And then we highlight two vehicles and show their path. So what you see here is that it's a plan for the vehicle. The star represents the pickup point of one passenger and the triangles represent drop-off points. What you see is that as new requests are coming, um, he's co continuously replanning the ride-sharing solution. So you end up with this sort of a system that responds to demand and tries to sort of maintain high occupancy of, um, of, the, of the vehicles. What he found is that he can serve the entire demand with only 3,000 vehicles. 
just to put this number into context, the current size of the fleet in New York, there is, there is, uh, is 11,000 licensed taxis in New York that currently serve the demand that we have in the data set. There is a related work that try to analyze, if you, if, you, if you just try to optimize it as much as possible with single occupancy uh, taxis without ride sharing, by how much you can reduce the fleet. Um, so he, that's uh, Carlo Ratte and his group's work. Uh, they arrived to number 6,000. And uh, then what Javier has found is that if you increase the capacity, you can, you can reduce the fleet size even more. So we did something similar for Prague. We, we Im implemented and applied a very similar algorithm. And these are the results. So, so what we found is that we can further reduce the fleet size, roughly to one third of the mobility of demand system with single occupancy vehicle. But more importantly, we got rid of the problem of those extra rebalancing kilometers. So very roughly, what happened is that compared to the current state, if everything works, so if everyone is willing to share, uh, we can reduce the amount of traffic in the network to roughly one half of the current state. What we are paying for it is an increase in travel time of uh, three minutes. So three minutes uh, relative to the current state when we just sort of have a vehicle that is right in front of our house. Uh, if we compare it to the, to the mobility on demand systems, system without ride sharing, the, the, actually the increase is not that big. It's like 50 seconds, as you can see. Okay, to conclude, in this presentation I, w I wanted to sort of show you what we can expect from self-driving vehicles. So they will be likely deployed as part of large fleets that will be centrally controlled, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that could be used to employ large-scale car sharing and large-scale um, uh, ride sharing. What is interesting is that if we only employ vehicle sharing, we will hit a problem of increased vehicle traffic that we can't really afford to have. So the only viable way to deploy those technologies is to actually somehow motivate people to share their vehicles to some extent. Now there's still a lot of questions. All those analyses are based on very optimistic assumptions. So one of them, one of the optimistic assumptions is that we assume that the demand for private transportation will remain constant. Meaning there will be no if I give you an autonomous vehicle, uh, you'll be as likely to use it as, as you are uh, today to, to use your own car. This is, uh, this is unrealistic because it is likely this, is, this might be cheaper and more comfortable than cars today, which might mean that people will start switching from public transport or travel, just simply travel more. <laughs> Second big question is how do you actually motivate people to ride share? This is the big one. Right? It's, um, it is, we see that it is necessary to do, but not everyone is willing to do that. So we'll have to come up with some incentives, some policies that will motivate people to actually do that. So I'll stop here. Thank you for your attention. And um, yeah, I believe I believe that uh, this topic uh, has still um, a lot of uh, questions that, that yes. need to be worked on. The, the field has grown. I mean, mm -hmm. we saw, from my experience, we saw 
transportation, uh, which had been uh, started in the 50s in, with highway engineering uh, in the 70s where people were uh, focusing congestion charging and there has always been an element of uh, how you build pavements and how do you layer the, the concrete uh, on the streets. Recently we've seen it going from this field which was mostly engineering and later also economics to also now have the audience uh, to also attract people with backgrounds like yours in robotics, machine learning and so on. But you mentioned something very interesting that um, it was an obscure topic at some point and then suddenly it exploded with interest. I mean, since you were in that field and you, have, uh, you had a first-hand uh, first view, can you trace the trigger? Do you know, can you remember what caused this explosion of interest? Yeah, I think uh, I think the trigger really was when Google went out and they announced that they had driven 500,000 miles yes. on public roads autonomously, mm. and then people suddenly started realizing that okay, this is just not a toy. This might have a real impact. Okay. Right. Now we are seeing a bit of a cool down, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that was the atmosphere back then, four years ago, five yeah. years ago. But about you again, uh, I mean, you made a transition, and and this is something that happens many times in a researcher careers. It's actually one of the beauties of the profession, or that you have always the chance to hop around the topics that you're dealing with. Uh, from personal experience, when I when I've done this, is that there were some topics that uh, seemed obvious, but then once I started going deeper into them. I realized that there's a lot of the things that I didn't know before and they served in order to captivate my attention even more. How about yourself? I mean, was there anything in particular that surprised you in the very early days of uh, your adventures in mobility and autonomous vehicles? One interesting thing is that um, there is a field called transportation research. That, uh, <laughs> that is there uh, any other field <laughs> uh, that cares a lot? Essentially, this is the field that tries to give us answers on how do we build highways, yeah. where we should build highways, mm. and this field is very incremental. It's yeah. um, they, when you talk uh, to people who work in this field, they they try to make progress by making incremental steps. Yes, by making. Uh, traffic lights a bit smarter, and what, where we came from, we essentially said, okay, uh, what if we could design the entire transportation system from scratch? Yes. Like just throw out everything you have and try to do it, yeah, from scratch, completely yeah. new. And um, the old practitioners, this is totally like impossible thought. Yeah. Like, no, no. We have we have those like we have those highways. They, they are there. We invested a lot of money into them. <laughs> we have to keep them. <laughs> and we have to do it uh, the way uh, we do it, mm. and only do little changes to improve the yeah. improve the system. So that was a, that was a big of a surprise that you cannot just you cannot convince sort of the, the people who are responsible for our highways with mm. this type of approach, which is surprising because because when we do infrastructure decisions. They need to last for 50 years, 100 yeah. years, right? We built a bridge. This bridge has to make sense in 50 mm -hmm. years. So one would think that you actually have to have a 50-year-long horizon 
yes in future but there's also there needs to be some transition i mean surely the the, the answer should lie between the two i mean uh, i can imagine that uh, while i hate being stuck on behind a traffic light uh, i waste several hours of every day uh, i I don't want to think what would happen if we went in every junction in London and removed all the traffic lights. I mean, it won't be such a pleasant experience. That's true. <laughs> it's very hard to imagine <laughs> in, um, in London, for example. But um, you could definitely imagine um, you can definitely imagine disruptive changes like um, um, dedicated dedicating yes. um, one lane to vehicles that have some special ability, for example, vehicles that can drive very close to each other mm. using sophisticated electronics. Um, yeah. Even that is a bit of uh, a radical thought in uh, this transportation research field. So I guess at least for some time the old guard and the Googles of the world need to find a way to coexist <laughs> so that we can ensure that we don't go from where we are to uh, a gridlock. That's true, and yeah. I think this is what makes it hard, and this is the reason why we don't see. We see definitely progress in environments that we can control, yeah. like all sorts of warehouses and mm. uh, campuses that are sort of behind a fence, and where we can change a little bit the environment. Yeah, it's doable, but we don't see. We don't see. We see that the progress in open environments where mm. we have people, a lot of uncertainty, mm. and people who are willing to take risks, um, mm. um, it is very hard to coexist with them uh, because you essentially have to be at a very similar level of cognition as mm. those drivers around you. Mm. But it's interesting that you mentioned warehouses because I can relate that to my own background because my, I did my PhD in autonomous sports in 2005 so in autonomous container terminals and something that my, some people many people uh, don't realize is that we have had autonomous vehicles actually we don't call them autonomous vehicles we call them automated guided vehicles in warehouses since the 70s and uh, in places such as rotterdam and also in places such as um, london thamesport since the 1990s so they have been around but the only difference, the only fundamental difference is that small change in the world. So it's not autonomous, it's automated, which means that they don't decide for their own, but they're centrally coordinated. And that change makes all the difference uh, in the field. 